listening to the Why Are You Interview Podcast, Episode 10. Hi, kitty cats. I am Amethyst Herrick, your hostess for Why Are You, an interview podcast about identity. In our last episode, we heard about how to find the bright side of anybody's identity, and in this episode, I am beyond honored to introduce Bianca, whom I met the same day I began gender transition, that chance meeting blossomed into what I consider a friendship, and I am just thrilled today to speak with Bianca, not as who she met, but as Amethysta. Bianca's life has been fascinating, and it makes me very glad to pay homage to her. This content is brought to you by subscribers of my Substack publication. If you are already a subscriber, thank you so much. If you would like to support shows just like this one, as well as everything I write, please consider subscribing. You're going to find links on how to do that in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this interview with Bianca. All right, today on the podcast, I have Bianca with me. Bianca, first of all, thank you for agreeing to to discuss Why Are You With Me? Thank you, Amethysta. I think you know you were one of my first influences, one of my first um, heroines, I guess I would put it. And uh, anyway, I'm very honored to, to, you know, be able to talk to you now in in a way that, that, you know, I I can hear more of your story in, in, in the context of my nonsensical questions. So... That is a super privilege for you to say that, you know. When when I met you, I had no idea that I was influencing anything. So it's all you <laughs> in anything I did. <laughs> you you might be surprised if if we if we talked more deeply, you might be surprised. So, <laughs> all right, let me give you the first question here. This the, I got two that are not very nonsensical. You know what? I'm going to stop talking. I'm just going to throw questions at you. You got to figure out what to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, can you tell me what gives you joy? Um, yes, I can. Um, I base my joy on my family, which is very small. It's me and my son. Um, without without those moments. I don't think my life is even worth existing. So joy, joy is about those closest to me. Um, and it's super simple. And it's easy for me to, to concentrate on those moments because I don't, I don't overanalyze it. I don't pretend that work and money and social standing and anything else can bring me joy if I didn't have that. Oh, wow. They're the moments alone with your son? Moments? What moments? Uh, well, I think alone moments is definitely part of that. You know, he's in his 20s. I've only got one child. And as I get back, those moments literally become moments. <laughs> I think when we've got small kids, are not so much moments as I need peace time. <laughs> so for me, it really is moments. Um but it's not limited to just that time. A great example is when he graduated from the Israeli Air Force. 
and I heard how everybody was talking about him at the graduation ceremony. And the commander of the base came up to me and said, you're Sean's mom. And I said, yeah. And so wow. we offered him to come and serve. And, and we wanted him to stay on, but he didn't want. And he did this and he did that. My son, my child. And there, there was a moment. I took great joy. Like, mm-hmm. like I maybe not see it when he makes a mess in the house. But, <laughs> and it's joyful for me. Mm-hmm. And that's... Is that like a, I mean, I, I don't know how well to put or how best to put this. I mean, not necessarily a, necessarily like your legacy carrying on, but that you helped foster, you know, this growth that somebody ultimately would uh, would tell you how great your son is. Is that along yeah, the lines? Yeah, yeah, it certainly is a legacy. I guess also as proud members of a trans community and trans background, um, genetics is always a consideration in our thought mm-hmm. and one of the main reasons why we put on the earth is to pass on our genetics it's a basic biological reality oh sure and seeing your genetics in action <laughs> I guess is the <laughs> most basic logical source of joy and perhaps sorrow and other things but definitely that's my definition of what I enjoy hmm I, I have a theory, and I have yet to develop this completely, but I, so, you know, always best to throw it out extemporaneously and something people might be able to listen to, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good at good at screwing things up. But I have this theory that being, that having trans, uh, transitioned now, transitioned gender now, I will actually be better at helping my son through, you know, his puberty, him, him being it, like, I'll be able to understand what he's doing a little bit better. And, you know, because I've seen it from both sides, I guess is what I'm saying. Did, did you find that by any chance? Um, yeah, i gotta, I got to think back. <laughs> it's been 10 years, I know. But. It's been a long, a long time since he's been there. Not a long time. I mean, he's, I guess he's my baby in his head, in my head anyway. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if I related to him in that way um, because I can't think of a reason why, but in terms of his puberty, um, when I was his age, I was completely messed up, <laughs> as, mm. as a lot of people like me are. Right. And um, my experiences were so different from what he was going through that I had to learn it all again. Mm. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't a simple time, and what made it even stranger is I could see that my son was gay from an early age, even prepubescent, mm. and I could see he was trying really hard to figure that out, and that was never my experience either. So all of these things were like I was learning how to do it. I think a lot of parents do that. Um, right. But uh, certainly, I think what you're saying is perfectly valid. You know, if you've if you've experienced uh, puberty in the same kind of sexual body parts that uh, your child goes through puberty as, there has to be some kind of empathy. Hmm. I don't know. Now, now you're making me doubt my theory. 
I think your theory is really valid. I just think it might, it might vary depending on circumstances. Sure. All right. Well, I'll let you know. I mean, he's he's coming up on this. So in the next couple of years, he he is turning twelve next month. So he's got about six weeks to to turn twelve. So. Okay. So your definition of joy might change as well in our next interview. <laughs> it might be. It might be. He is a great kid. I mean, I'm. I'll stop talking about him. But <laughs> all right. Well, thank you on that. Um, so. I, I mean, I know you and I have had some some somewhat deeper discussions on on you know our early lives and and how they've certainly changed up to now. But if there were one thing that you could rewrite in the story of your life, what would that be? Um, absolutely um, nothing, <laughs> and that doesn't mean amethyst that. Um, I wouldn't have changed anything while I was going through it. I mean, I had a lot of suffering like, like most people would. But I really am a believer that I'm the person I am like now, today, only because of all the nonsense that I had to fight through and survive. Now, would I have yeah. it's not a chance. I would have changed everything. But... I really like who I am today. I don't think I could be that without that. So I can't go back in time. I came to talk right. that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I would give the same answer. And at least in part, be, because, you know, the things that give me joy, yeah, might be different. I mean, I, I remember part of your story. You said you, you had moved to Israel with your, with your very young son, son I think, yeah. a few months old, did you say? Yeah, he was he was young. We went to Bedouin, mm-hmm. but yeah, he was young when we came here. Okay, and so I, I I would imagine that that the the shared experiences has colored, you know, your relationship with him, so that now that joy, mm-hmm. you know, that there's more to it. You know, there's there's much more to that joy. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like your question hits so many sensitive chords that all. <laughs> If, if only, okay, because always, especially with a with a person like myself who transitioned when my son was super young, um, and I was a single mom, I took away his male dad figure, and that's a point of guilt. Like, yeah, would I change that? Would I, I'd love to have given my child a father. But mm-hmm. never have that opportunity. So, yeah, in theory, what you said is like always hitting sensitivities for me because obviously there are things I would have liked to have done, to have done differently. But I, we are who we are because I didn't do them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. I, you know, I, I understand that guilt. It was p- pretty much the reason why I didn't transition because I thought, well, I have to be a father. Exactly. And what's interesting, my my relationship with him is orders of magnitude better now. Yeah. Because because I'm kinder, I'm I'm nicer. You know, he can relate to me better. It's crazy. He can relate to me better. So. And it keeps developing in unforeseen circumstances and ways where yeah. these come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my son who turned out to be gay and part of the LGBT community, 
I'm thinking my circumstances and my background very unintentionally let me be a better parent for him. Right. Right. In that. Mm, I know. I mean, I, I had I received an email from somebody who said, you know, I feel sorry for your son. And I thought, don't do that. Because yeah. he seems to be much happier. So be, because I am. So exactly. exactly. You can give him all of you now. Yes. Yes, exactly. Th- there was something I, this just popped back into my mind. Last night, he was getting ready to go to bed. He comes down and you know, gives me a kiss goodnight. And he says, by the way, because I bought him, at some point I bought him makeup brushes. And I got I to gotta tell you, I don't remember why. I, I think I was just at Ulta. And I saw something red and I said, oh, I'll buy it for Ash, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I came home, I gave him to him. He was very enthusiastic about it. And he used it to paint um, whiskers. On, on his face. You know, he says, look, now I can be, paint his nose. He says, look, I'm, I can be a cat, you know, now with my, my makeup brushes. Yeah. So last night, he comes, he's, he, you know, he gives me a kiss and then he says, so incidentally, you're changing your identity. That's his word. I would have said presentation, but it's okay. okay. He's, he's, he's only turning 12 now. But yeah, right. So, strange questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm cutting him some slack. Yeah. Yeah. But, he goes, I think I'm going to do the same. I th- he says, you know, I still have those makeup brushes. I still have some eyeshadow that mom gave me. I'm going to start doing the, the whiskers on my face all the time. And I said, good. You know, but, but part of his comfort in being able to do that was because he sees me doing things that are difficult. You know, yeah. I'm changing my presentation. And so he goes, well, then I'm going to start putting whiskers on. So, but how how precious is it that he's questioning how he wants to go through his journey, and he's got the freedom to do that? That's precious, right? There, there is nothing. Yeah, if just for that one moment, yeah. like this whole transition was worth it. I mean, initially when I spoke to you know to my psychologist, and I said, "Gosh, I just can't do that." She said the best gift that you could give your son is, you know, your true self to show him that being who you are is important. And I said, oh, I think that's kind of crap. Anyway, she was right because, yeah. yes, that's been huge. Him him seeing my what I do has has influenced it and, and that's has influenced, you know, his journey um, for the better. So now he realizes he needs to be who he is, whatever that is. So I'm sorry, this wasn't supposed to be my story here, but no, I think I think your story is inspirational from the time I've met you from now. I think that you can inspire a lot of people and talking to you, I hope uh, yeah, will give some interesting insights. If that's for you or me, it's not important. <laughs> that's a good point. Thank you. All right, so now I've got, so those are like my good questions. <laughs> so, I mean, these are other fun questions, but. Okay. All right. So I know, so I know you, you, um, you emigrated from, from South Africa, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. But you've lived in Israel for, I guess, at this point, more than two decades. Yeah. So, so here's a question. What smells like home? <laughs> my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a horrible answer, but <laughs> do, do you mean your home smells like your dogs, or is that no? But when I smell my dogs, it takes me back. <laughs> okay, 
Now, okay. But that, look, it's such a different country. And South Africa is a very unique example because I, don't, I haven't lived there for a long, long time. But, you know, we all see the news and I've got friends there and we have the country that I grew up in and the country today, for better or for worse, is not the same place. So my memories, my memories are nothing that I could ever go back to. You know, sometimes when kids grow up and they move from New York to, to Los Angeles to follow the dream and something reminds me from home, there's always a thing, well, when I go home, it's New York. <laughs> you know? right. It's got its own atmosphere, its own smells. The place that I grew up just is no longer there and there's no roots there because it's gone and it was a cruel world for millions of people I grew up in apartheid South Africa as, as having white privilege unprivileged mm. in other ways but white privilege like that, that country my memories are of an idealist world based on an unrealistic cruel reality mm. but the memories were you know it's a childhood memories they were amazing we had big houses and ponies in the gardens and it's hard to get a memory here in my life today in my little apartment to remind me of that um, perhaps also through sensual things like when I cook I take my mom's cooking, we used to cook like from very early oh. ages and mm-hmm. try and recreate. I mean, she was a much better cook than I am. Like, <laughs> but on the, on the other occasions that I can eat my food and some of the flavorings and things like this might remind me. But yeah, very difficult to remind myself of the South Africa I left. Mm-hmm. Does it, do, do you still think of that as home? <sighs> I think of Israel as home because, I'm, like I explained, I don't really have another home. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean I don't miss and remember very fondly a lot of my childhood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that can't really be recreated. Now that makes sense. So, I don't know. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be very, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, American and Americans, you know, we have the tendency not to know pretty much anything about the rest of the world because, you know, we are the best. So why would you teach anybody anything else? That's supposed to be in quotation marks. I know, I know, I know that this, is not, <laughs> this is not a political podcast in terms of... <laughs> no. But I've always wondered when people call themselves American. America is so huge. Yeah. They are so, it's, it's beyond a, a country, if you will. It's got so many different flavors and cultures and places and histories that such a huge term, being American. It, it is. And I normally I would say U.S. citizen. I actually fell back on, on American there because I thought... There's a certain level of pedantry that I'm willing to engage in. And people who know me go, it's a really high level. I mean, there's, (laughs) in that particular instance, for some reason, I did not. But as a U.S. citizen, try this again, as a U.S. citizen, we get 10, we tend not to get taught, you know, about much of the rest of the world. So I'm going to ask you a question that shows at the very least my, um, my ignorance of, of uh, you know, other other cultures. Mm-hmm. 
hopefully I'm not as bad as I'm making out, but you know, you tell me. Um, music is a very important part of our lives. To, at least it is to me. I mean, and music can can evoke so much. Well, what instrument to you anyway sounds the most beautiful? Um, look, in terms of physical instruments, I just love the, the guitar. And that's just been because I've had personal experiences of, mm -hmm. of intimacy with people, not me playing, because otherwise people would run away, but people <laughs> next to me who really talented. And it forms that personal connection, which I really mm -hmm. loved. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love an old wooden guitar in the hands of a really talented player mm -hmm. but if we can broaden that question which is a kind of fun question a little bit more oh, and, please and define a person's vocal cords as an instrument yes definitely that's got to be the most powerful moving sound of music mm. that put into the right person yeah I mean a, a, a cappello in a band with back it doesn't matter that instrument has got more power than than any amount of talking mm -hmm. uh, I agree actually because <laughs> I think you know I think you know I actually am a guitarist yeah. but I think I mentioned that to you at one point but yeah what I wish I could do is be a good singer because cause the voice, I mean, you can carry it with you anywhere. Exactly. Right? I mean, you got to carry a, a guitar to the to the beach or whatever, because, you know, you, everybody apparently is having campfires on the beach with a guitar singing Kumbaya. Really? That wasn't really how I grew up. but Me neither. And, well, if they're doing that, they're definitely not inviting me. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, the destination so, so candidly they didn't invite me which is why i was saying it kind of wryly like everybody else apparently so i'll tell you what next time i'm in israel i'll bring a guitar with me okay. you and i can go down to the beach all right we'll have a campfire does that work that works well that works well one of us is going to have to sing and i don't think it ought to be me but no, then it's definitely we need to bring a third person. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But what's interesting with the voice that I learned only recently um, is about overtone singing. Are, are you familiar with this at all? No. Why don't you go ahead and explain that? All right. So there, there's, I'm trying to remember, there's a German vocalist. Now I forget her name, and I apologize if you ever listen to this German vocalist. She will sing one note, but then modify her vocal tract so that um, so that one particular overtone of that, you know, of the note that she is singing, of the fundamental, gets amplified. And so so she can hold like a like a, a single note. So, you know, call it a C, whatever. I don't actually know what what key Beethoven's Ode to Joy is in, so right. whatever. But she she will hold, you know, the, the note of the key and then actually do, with overtone. So she's not singing the note. She's only changing her vocal tract to bring out, you know, particular overtones of that fundamental right. note. But did Beethoven's Ode to Joy, it was 
the most fascinating thing I've seen. If you want, I can try to find this video and, yeah, and send it to you. But... but no, it's, it's amazing. There was a guy recently on the last season, I apologize to any listeners who do not find popular TV, shall we call it reality shows? Mm -hmm. Talent had a guy from France who was using a kind of a, a loop repeater kind of instrument. Oh, yeah. And yes. making music with his voice and chanting yes. tones and looping it back and making more sounds. Just mm -hmm. a beautiful instrument. Oh, yeah. I, I love that, too. I, I know what you're talking about. I didn't see that particular one, but I love the people with loopers. Um, you know, beatboxers is what they call themselves, which... Mm -hmm. Seems seems a little seems a little like slim on meaning to me um, when you do so much. So, all right. So so now so just just so that it's clear here, we, I have gone through. So we've done smell, and and then we just did sound. Yeah. So um, so I got a couple more here. So if you there there are colors that I colors that you like to wear. I mean I know I got my own. I'm sure you can guess which one it is. Yeah, yeah. It just must be a very royal color. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> what color can you not wear? That is a great question. Um, yeah, I generally will stay away from kind of the bright pinks and the bright purples and mm -hmm. and colors like that, which might not be a reflection on the color, but more my personality that I don't like to be noticed too much, never did. And kind of wearing way out there colors like that, even a bright yellow, would, I would find that disturbing. Mm. So... Um, like I said, that's what I can't wear. I don't think it's anything to do with my skin tone or my eye color or my hair tone or anything like that. I think it's just more to do with my personality. Being noticed, you mean? Being noticed, yeah. Um, like, I think I have enough physical characteristics to make people stare without putting too many bright colors on me. <laughs> okay. I, I guess I can see that. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have, you know, we mentioned earlier, or we were talking earlier, you have been somewhat in the public eye, mm -hmm. which must have been uncomfortable, I guess, then. Totally. Um, you know, I've always been a kind of a private person, um, yet um, I have been in the public eye to a certain degree. Um, when my son came out as gay, I came out of the closet as having a trans history. And I started to talk at events. And then I noticed that I had an influence of, wow, a person can be in a successful position and still have gone through that. And I thought, yeah, each mm -hmm. person's journey is their own and they're different, but yeah, you can. Um, but I did it when he came out and also because I was at a stage in my career where I was more secure. So I had less to lose. Um, and, and I say that with a little bit of trepidation because we always <laughs> more to 
loose as well on the other end. Um, but um, it started like that, and after a few um, appearances and speeches, I joined the board of a of a organization called LGBT Tech, which is uh, business and the LGBTQI plus community and how it's beneficial for companies that we can all be ourselves at work and bring our whole selves to work. It's a win-win, and it's about that sort of empowerment which was needed in Israel. I joined the board of directors there. Uh, then I, I was voted in the top 30 LGBT executives in the country, and that was published. And then there were about four or five different newspaper articles of me, and suddenly it didn't fit back into the closet <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that was despite this was never kind of something i desired or designed it was something which i got um, motivated by my child and then by the feedback i was getting in the community and then i noticed in myself that i got a great benefit from people who took inspiration from my journey. And it's something that I loved doing, but it was never because I was an extrovert person trying to be noticed. And ironically, education-wise, I have a degree in economics, I have an honors degree, a master's degree in law, um, and I practiced as an attorney, attorney for a while. Mm -hmm. But the one thing in my gender journey I've never quite come to terms with, even though it was so, so many decades ago, um, has been my voice. Mm. It's, a cause of, it's a cause of insecurity for me. And speaking is not something I like to do. Bright colors is not something I like to do. But where did I build a career? I built a career in sales in tech companies. Mm -hmm. And you don't stop talking. Now, and it was, it was one of those things that we have our own personal preferences, but then life happens. And what we learn when we get older is when you get to overcome those challenges is when you start to learn that, okay, I have some kind of an impact for somebody. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's an awesome story. <clears throat> an awesome story. I do... I had a question actually that was kind of a backup because I, I was like, I'm not even sure how to stick this one in. But you just spoke about all of presentations you had to do. And in particular, you had mentioned your voice. Mm -hmm. What is like a Bianca specific communication style? I don't know how to end that other than to say, what is something that is distinctly Bianca in communicating? Um, listening, definitely listening. Um, okay. I do believe the foundations of communication is to, is to listen. And I teach my son that I teach the different companies I work at. And a lot of you listening to this, you might notice when you communicate with anyone, what is a typical communication? We come with our own perspectives. It could be about a project, it could be about an issue, a subject, it could be about a person. But we come to a conversation with a preconceived idea. Mm -hmm. And what I love, Amethyst, about the podcast and the way that you do it is that 
you you listen to to the person and you develop that conversation because most people when you're talking when two people speak they're normally four voices there's <laughs> right. what, what i say what you say what i think what you think right. and um when we communicating i find the biggest challenge is often that we're not really listening and understanding. We're more thinking while you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, well, how am I going to get my perspective across to you? Sure. Um, so Bianca communication is making an immense effort to shut that voice down so I can just listen. That's amazing. I, I will tell you what I was, what I would have had I been you, what I would have said, your smile is so expressive. <laughs> it's nonverbal. I mean, you're laughing about it, but your, your smile, you used to have a beautiful smile. I noticed this, you know, a year ago when first we spoke, not quite a year ago, but um, you have a very expressive, you know, smile, very expressive mouth. And that's part of, uh, I think that's a big part of communication. I don't know why. It is to me. Maybe I'm no, thank you so much. It's like oh, that's a good a... compliment. Oh, sure. I mean, <clears throat> you gave them to me. I'll give them back to you. So, <laughs> all right. I honestly, I have one more question, of course. and and then uh, and then we can be finished here. But so, yeah, I'm just not. I'm not going to qualify it. If you were a tree, what species of tree would you be? Um. That is a great question. I'm going to say a baobab. Huge. Okay, I'm not familiar with that. It's fine. Um, I don't pretend to be a horticulturalist either. <laughs> um, but it's one of the longest lived trees in the natural world with the okay. roots and a lot of stories that go on around it. And my choice of that tree is not that it's the prettiest tree. Um, although I can grow pretty big, which I did as well, so there's certain similarities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what I love about it is that it grows to very old ages. And it's, it's strong and it's thick and it's well-lived. And the stories that a bovab tree can, can gather around this lifetime of thousands of years and have that knowledge and not ever have the ability to even or need to share that knowledge. Right. That, that must be an amazing tree to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I wonder if we're thinking about, I would have said the yew tree. Mm -hmm. So the white, white EW, the yeah. yew tree. I, I'm curious if they're, if the two are related or if we're talking about the same tree, because this is a tree capable of, you know, typically it, it kind of rots from the inside and so you end up with um you know it's it's capable of, of sort of rebuilding itself and that's how i can live thousands of years i understand there's a you in scotland i believe it was that's you know seven to ten thousand years old i wonder if we're talking about the same well they're both endangered trees like there's nothing chat gpt doesn't know <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I wonder if they are related. Let's not waste our time on the podcast. But sure. There. It'll be a nice. Um, it'll be a nice piece of homework 
for anybody listening to answer us and let us know about the relationship between them. Perfect. Yeah, leave it as an exercise to the reader. Yeah. I always love that in physics texts, you know. <laughs> Yeah. because I had to believe the author of those books of the physics texts. You know, we leave this as an exercise to the reader. Hopefully that person knew very well. None of us was going to do it. There was no chance in hell. I was going to go, Oh gosh, well, I better go figure this out. Right. Yeah. And I'm so, so you're, you're a manager in tech. Isn't one of the greatest managerial skills when you don't know something. Just, it's just great if you found that out. And yes. <laughs> it's a good point. It's I, I had not. It gets us out of a hole, right? Right, right. I, I had no I, <laughs> I had no idea that's what I was doing. I leave this as an exercise, exercise <laughs> to the reader. That's hilarious. <clears throat> okay, those are all of my questions. And I just want to say, listen, thank you so much. I mentioned at the beginning, you know, you were an influence. You know, I hate to use the word inf uh, inspiration because it sounds uh, somewhat hackneyed at this point. Um, but you have definitely influenced me very much. And I thank you so much for taking your time to talk to me, especially since it's so late at night. I can see it's dark outside. So yeah. thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm looking forward to speaking again soon. It felt amazing to have that conversation, knowing how my friendship with Bianca began. My dear friend, thank you for everything you've done for our community and everything you continue to do. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Why Are You? If you'd like to hear more, all you got to do is subscribe using the links you'll find in the show notes. And until next time, remember that burning question, why are you?